Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope everybody's having a great week. Then let's dive right in. All right. Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, we're going to cover 11 verses today in Acts 5. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be as transparent as I can. Uh, this comes over a heavy part of Acts, um, but it's equally important. So we're going to pray. Acts 5, 1 through 11. God, we just thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you that as we dive into your word, you speak to us. God, demonstrate your power and might. We love you. We need you. And we submit our lives to you, every area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, recap for those who don't know, we've been going through the book of Acts systematically, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we are now on chapter five. Uh, So it's been a slow process, but there's been a lot to cover. So let's catch up to speed real quick. Chapter one, Jesus was there for a little bit. He leaves, he sends the Holy Spirit. They're in unity, Acts chapter two. They have a blowout. We call it the upper room experience or day of Pentecost. Then we see Peter and John walk through the, uh, head into the temple, go through the great, Gate beautiful on their way to pray. They heal a man who has been lame since he was born over 40 years. We know that. They get called before the synagogue. They get called before the, uh, the leaders, if you will. Um, they were threatened that if they don't stop sharing the name of Jesus, that they will end up like Jesus, i.e. dead. But that doesn't matter to them because Jesus is alive. So joke's on them. They leave, all right? and recap everything that has happened with their brethren. They praised God, they prayed together, all things were great. And then we see at the very end of chapter four, uh, in the, the verse 36, verse 35, and they laid at the apostles' feet all they had, distributed each as they had needed, and uh, Barnabas went, and he was a Levite. He sold land, brought money, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and everybody was just in awe. Here we are. Acts 5, verse 1. But a certain man That's always a bad start. When you end with an amazing man did this, but there was another, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Verse two says this, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, at the end of chapter 4, we're told about the remarkable generosity that took place leading up to this, that they, they had all things in common, that if anyone had needs, that they would, they would sell and they would do all those amazing things. But I think we're seeing this, this shift. <clears throat> and the shift actually happens at the end of chapter 4. Because when, when, when Barnabas gives what he has it seems like that's an important event that took place. Because as they were selling and as they were giving, it was just a blah, everybody had like mind. But then it goes, but this other guy named Barnabas sold 
laid it at the apostles' feet, and it seems like he gets special recognition for his gift. Now, I do want to take a time out here for a second and say the amount of a gift that somebody gives, okay, isn't honored by God more than somebody else. We see this clearly when Jesus goes to the temple and all these people are throwing their money in the plate, but a woman, a widow woman, puts a mite in and he says she gave more. So the dollar amount of something isn't the topic here, but what they're looking at is the gift that he gives was something extraordinary, enough that for the rest of human history it was recorded. And I find that interesting. I find that interesting because there was something powerful about what he did. And it was so much so that it would then stir up this story. So there's a cautionary tale here, okay? The first cautionary tale on my part is to make sure that when we honor somebody, when we're giving them something, it doesn't go too far. The second part is what happens when you do honor somebody and it's not you? How are you going to act and what are you going to do when somebody else does something and they get honor and they get recognized, but you don't? We see this in, in our world. Mr. Ken, wherever he is doing something, uh, continually amazes me. Whether we're having an event or a party and he builds this wooden set out of nowhere or we ask for something small and he does an entire front porch in the youth room or I ask, there is, I ask for him to put some simple stairs and he builds a, a gazebo. Um, and he does what he does and it's an amazing thing. And what happened in this church service, if you will, is that they honored Barnabas for what he did by the Spirit. And Ananias and Sapphira watched their recognition and goes, I want that. The heart shifts between I want to be a part of that into I want that. And I'll say this, they saw the generosity and they, they felt like they wanted the same respect. And so they go and they talk to one another. And I honestly am gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. I think Ananias and Sapphira together have this conversation. We have this piece of property that we can sell and that we too can give to the needs of the church, okay? I've been a pastor now for 23 year, 22 years now, um, and I've seen a lot of great things, and I've had people explain things to me that they were going to do when something happens. Some people that I know were going to sell their business. They wanted me to pray over the sale of their business, and, he, and they had a specific number in mind that they were going to reap from their sale of their business and go, hey, we're going to give X, Y, and Z to the church when it gets sold. I've had people come through and we talk about their bonuses and raises and all those things, and I believe what was taking place here is Ananias and Sapphira had a conversation with each other, saw the needs of the church, had this moment go, hey, what do you think that we could sell that piece of property for? They talk back and forth. I'm going to make up an arbitrary number. We're going to say, in today's dollars, $30,000. We're going to give it to the church. So they sit down with Peter and go, hey, we're going to sell this piece of property. We're going to get it. We see the needs of the church. We're going to give all of it, all 30000 
back to it, and it's going to be great. Peter, awesome. Sounds great. We're going to pray. We're going to see God work. They go and they list the property, and they don't get $30,000. They get more. One, two, three times. Markets shoot up. And they told Peter, hey, we're going to give you 30, and we just sold it for 90. Can we get the best of both worlds here? We told y'all that we were going to give it all, but we're going to give it $30,000. Can I tell you, the problem here isn't the amount. Whose money was it to start with? I mean, Peter clearly says in a few verses, this was yours from the beginning. Do with it what you wish. Can I tell you, you should never feel the need to give out of manipulation. You should never feel the need to give because somebody has beat you over the head about it. And you should never feel the need to give also so that you too can get recognition of somebody else's need. They said they were going to give 50, 100%. They held back. And it's interesting because that, the, 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 the word here that is being used in verses 1 and 2, the word kept back is the Greek word that means misappropriation. It's used later on in, in, in Titus, which means to steal. They said they were going to give 100, but maybe they gave 50. Maybe they gave 40. Maybe they gave 20%. There's no crime in that. There's no crime in keeping it back. But according to this part, if you're making a promise to God that you're going to do something and you don't do it, it's not only lying, but it's also stealing. Clearly, both husband and wife were definitely part of this together, and they knew what was going on. And it's important for us to understand here that the lesson here is not that you should give everything you have to the church. I need to make that perfectly clear. If you want to give everything you have, you can. You don't need to give everything you have. This is where cults kick up full speed. You don't have to do that. They didn't have to do that. Nor is the lesson here on how to outgive the person next to you. This isn't a competition between the person that's sitting across the aisle or the person that's in front of you or I bet you I can give more to the youth ministry than you can give and we're going to create this giving battle back and forth. The heart of it all is what is God telling me to do? The truth is, is that God should direct our giving and you should ask him what you should do. I'll tell you the problem comes up though because we're afraid to ask God how much to give because he may have a different amount in our heads than we do. You see, I feel like in my heart, the reason what they did, what they did, was not an issue of initial generosity. It's a fundamental issue of honesty. Make no mistake, their honesty was in question because of their greed. 
And the reason they were dishonest was because they wanted to keep more for themselves, but still looked like they gave everything. And here we see something that's very interesting, that the material will always indicate what's happening in the spiritual. The Bible says that uh, you can look at a man's heart and see where his treasures are. That's a spiritual thing pointed towards a very physical connection here. And listen, when I walk through this whole thing, and, I, and I've read this numerous times over and over and over again, I, I, I think that sometimes that we get some, some criticism on Ananias and Sapphira because of what takes place here. But how often do I do the exact same thing in my life? I act like I'm one way, but the reality is that I'm not. And can we take a time out? When we, when we talk about your giving, this is not, everybody breathe lightly. We're not going to have an offering plate at the end of service. Give like you should to God. It's done and over with. This is between you and God. But can I tell you, God's not broke and he's not poor. He does not need your giving. The facilities that you worship in, the structure that you worship in may need your giving, but he does not need your giving. We partner in places like this because we have a like-minded vision to reach the lost and we connect our material needs with our spiritual heart. That's why we're giving. But God himself does not need your giving. He doesn't need. Secondly, let's go ahead and clear the air. My income is not tied to your giving. My well-being is not tied to your giving. Because today if every single person stops giving and we have to shut the doors here, God will take care of me because of my heart towards him, not because I'm manipulating somebody to give more money. It's one reason why we don't do pew rallies here. We don't do a whole lot of special offerings here. You are a generous and giving church. One that I've never seen, especially for the size of our church, how much you guys pour out, and it's admirable, and it's honorable. But one thing that you don't ever have to do, nor can you ever do, is to manipulate God into doing something because you gave something. But we get into this, this trap sometimes. We have a need, so in our heads we'll just go, okay, well what is a hundredfold of that need? Do the quick math, give it, and then when God doesn't grant us a hundredfold of our gift, by the time we walk out the doors, then God's word's a lie. See, remember that whole story of sowing and reaping. There's something in between we like to call time. And, and a lot of times when you're giving, don't get frustrated in giving when God pulls on your heart because there is time that takes place. Sometimes that time is unbelievably short. And sometimes that time is unbelievably long. But let me hear, hear me when I tell you, when you sow, you will reap. It will come. Time will come. Not because of the man or the woman that's standing telling you, but because of who God is. And if he has express, expressed something in your heart to do, it doesn't matter how articulate and eloquent the person up here is. It has everything to do with who he is and who you are connecting. Can I tell you this too? It doesn't matter if you like the individual that's up there preaching. It doesn't matter if you think that that person up there preaching or not is a snake, snake oil salesman. Your giving is not directly connected to the individual, but between what you and God have agreed upon. I've watched my dad give money because God told him to ministers that I go, they're a heretic. 
They are wrong. To which my dad said, it doesn't matter what they are. It's who he is. And if he has told me to do something, who am I to tell him he is wrong? And I would watch him give money or needs or whatever it was, meeting somebody else's needs that was just a not good individual. And you could watch them uh, with the opportunities at that moment. And you could see the emotion. You could see the presence of God go, I'm taking this gift and bringing you back home. Why? Because it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And just because I deem this individual not worthy of my gift, but if my God has told me to do something, my relationship with him is more important than the relationship I have in my wallet. But we have this idea that we are the gatekeepers of our own finances. At best, you are the switch that turns the water off. At best. Because when God directs something to me, I have a choice. Do I leave his blessing valve open or do I shut it off? And my disobedience and my rebellious heart and my pride and my greed will shut it off. You know, it's interesting. I, we're, they're finishing up the house that caught fire. <laughs> Had an unfortunate cooking incident. You know, I, they had to redo the electrical, and they've redone some plumbing. They've redone the gas lines and all that stuff. And, and I realized when the water is coming off the mains to the pipe, the water's there. It's there automatically. And it's interesting is that once the, uh, oh, my goodness, what's it called when they say it's safe? Uh, not the invest. What? It, who is it that comes through inspection? Once the inspection's done, he has the power to turn the switch. It's interesting because the power he doesn't call somebody and go open the dam and they come flooding through Millbrook. He turns the switch because he has the authority to say it's ready to roll. In God's life, there's a lot of time in our lives. There's a lot of times where God has flooded us with who He is but we have the knob whether or not we want to give it access to every area of our lives or leave it at the pipe. And my disobedience, obedience, and my pride, and my greed, and my whatever it is, insert issue, is that valve that will open up or close the blessings on my life. That was a free one. Here, Ananias and Sapphira, the issue is honesty. They weren't honest before God. They weren't honest before the church. And their fundamental lack of honesty is used to cover up who they really were. Their greed. But it's not always greed for us, right? Sometimes our dishonesty can show up to cover up addictions, fears, insecurities, Hatreds, prejudices. Our dishonesty is used 99.9% of the time to cover up something we don't want anybody else to see. I was listening to a podcast of a, of a man who was working with many church leaders who have had major issues in their lives. They've fallen off the wagons and they've either had uh, compromise or scandals or whatever's going on. 
and, I, and I'm listening to this podcast, and I found it interesting because what happens with them is the exact same thing that I've watched happen in my life and the exact same thing I've watched happen in every member's church life, and that is this. First off, they always isolate themselves. They isolate themselves from other people, and the second thing they always do is compartmentalization of themselves. They keep this idea that I can keep this side of my life going, but I won't let it touch that compartment. I know what I'm doing is wrong and whatever, and it's bad, but it doesn't mean that I can't be a servant of God. I mean, David was a sinner after all, right? And we begin to justify with our compartments back and forth what's right and what's wrong. But the the dynamics of isolation and compartmentalization give us a dishonest look of where Ananias and Sapphira were. Why do I isolate myself from people? Well, because I don't want to be honest about my life. Why do I compartmentalize my life? Because I don't want to be honest about who I really am as a whole person. So this fundamental issue right here, what we're seeing, is is the same issues that we see in our churches every single day. It's the same issues that we see in our homes every single day. It's the, the same issues that we see in our cars every day. It's the same issues that we deal with between our ears every single day. Like, I don't have a word of prophecy, and don't worry, I'm not going to be calling anybody else's sin out. But it doesn't take a prophet to guesstimate that in the past four Sundays, somebody in here got into an argument with their spouse on their way to church. Why? Because we're human. But it's so cool, though, right? The, the church is such a magical place. It's magical because you are having a knockdown drag out and you open the doors and, oh, peace, floods your car. <laughs> what fight? How was your day? Glory to God, best day of my life. God's good. He's good to you. He's great to me. And you're like, oh, wow, they're having a great life. 30 seconds later, you're like Googling how to get away. No. Um, so you're, 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 you're walking through this life here that we're having these arguments over clothes or running late or how come I've been sitting here for 15 minutes? It's not like Sunday creeped up on you. Why are we? A, a pet peeve of mine, and maybe it's a pet peeve of yours. I had this conversation with, with my fiance yesterday. One of our big pet peeves is punctuality. Like, it's a huge issue. Like, not because we have an issue, the world has an issue. And it bothers me because I'm going, what is the big deal? Every once in a while, life happens. This past, yesterday we were supposed to go to Birmingham. I got in the car. My tire pressure was low. It is what it is. It took five extra minutes than I wanted to. Boom. But you know what I always do? I I always go to those places earlier because my parents have beat something into my mind, and that is 15 minutes early is on time. On time is late. I don't know why, but it's a core value of mine. And it's funny to me because I watch people during Christmas season, it's as if Christmas snuck up on them. Like, it's the same time every year. It's never changed. It's been the exact same thing, and they're just living their life like, Christmas is Monday, as if, I don't know, didn't you go to Target or Walmart or, I don't know, turn the TV on or radio at all and not know Christmas is coming? How about the frigid air? Newsflash. But here's what's taken place. 
is that they're walking, we're walking through life and we're maybe dealing with an, an issue with our spouse because they were running later because you didn't do something and you didn't put your clothes away and now you tripped over my shoes and the dog peed on the floor and that's your fault too and, and whatever it may be and you're getting these fights and you're doing your life and then all of a sudden you pull up to church and, Tim, uh, and Ken's out there, hey guys, how's you doing? We're blessed, man. We're doing great. God is good all the time. Well, 30 minutes ago, he wasn't that good. What would happen if Mr. Ken says, hey guys, how you doing? Honestly, man, dude, <laughs> rough drive over here, but we'll get through it. Just pray for us. Ken's going to go, you know what? This is not the place for y'all. I need y'all to turn around, get back in your car, you heathens, and go get saved, and then get your lives together, and then you can walk into our church. Absolutely not. You know what he'll probably say? Bruh, you should have seen me and Sheila. (laughs) Why? We're human. But for some reason in my head, my humanity is not allowed in a place like this. So we lie. In verse 3, Peter confronts him. And he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the piece of land for yourself? Those are heavy words. I kind of feel sorry for Ananias right here in this moment. Why? Because he's expecting Peter to go, dude, thank you so much for all you gave. I'm just going to shake your hand. You are an amazing giver. What, we're going to put a plaque on the wall. We're going to have somebody come and etch your faces out, and this pew is reserved for you guys for the rest of all eternity. And all of a sudden, instead of getting the handshake, he gets accused of being partners with Satan. The spiritual gift mentioned in Corinthians is called a word of knowledge. Peter wasn't hiding in the bushes watching the sail. The Holy Spirit prompted onto Peter something that was going on. And I would imagine that he was just embarrassed. Ananias might have been somewhat crushed. He was rebuked instead of praised. But you might say, why would Peter do this publicly? I don't think he did it in the middle of church service. But certainly there were other people around, and you'll figure out how that happened later on. But the reality is that Ananias wanted a public recognition for something, and he got a public something, all right. Notice, go back to verse 3, there he is. And, and Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the piece of land for yourself? Next verse, verse 4, really cool. And while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived these things in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Verse 5. Then Ananias, hearing these words, Peter grabbed his holy scepter, beat him to death, and he breathed his last. Notice, Peter didn't condemn him to death. Peter confronted the sin. Everything else that took place was between Holy Spirit and Ananias. I think it shocked Peter. How did he die? We don't know. I would 
I can speculate and say he had a heart attack and just dropped right then. Peter looks at him and goes, it was yours to do whatever you wanted to. Don't lie to God about it. Don't tell God you're going to do something and then not do it. And then act like you did it. He sees all. He knows all. He is in every location. So when you're making up these lies, he knows before you even said anything. Now the sin of this is portrayed in my life and in your life both. We create the impression or allow the impression, permit the permission, uh, impression that we are people that read our Bibles regularly because we'll post something on Instagram every once in a while or Facebook. We act like we're people of prayer because we do these things every once in a while and we're loud when we're really not. We see somebody from church and quickly change our radio station to be something spiritual so we can act like we always listen to Christian music nonstop. In a modern terminology, I'll say it this way, we live our lives perpetually with a filter on because we never want anybody to see our blemishes. You never want somebody to see the sun damage or the wrinkles or the whatever it is, so we, we add these filters to our photos and, and we add these filters to our lives because we can never allow anybody into our lives to see who we really are. And sometimes pastors are the absolute worsts at this. Uh, we exaggerate. Uh, we'll call it, what's the word we'll use? Evangelistically speaking. So right now we have the crowd that's in here now and then we'll have people who are currently watching online and people share our videos and then I can see how many views we hit. Those views that we hit range from anywhere from 30 seconds to the entire session, okay? So I can get up there and say, any given Sunday, and we had 500 people, you know, in attendance. Well, evangelistically speaking, when I grab the numbers here and I grab the numbers there and then I prophesy over them too, uh, I, you get this magical number. Why? Because it inflates myself and I feel better about myself that this is what's taken place. I had this conversation with Jessica a, a few weeks ago, a, a few days ago, actually. Uh, I'm a person that likes to tell funny stories. I like to tell goofy things. I like to involve my personal life on what's taking place. And if I'm being honest, a lot of times I do it for a good laugh and a connection point. And it's not always for the cross, being honest. Sometimes I tell stories because I like the reaction. I was at the beach with the family a couple weeks ago and I'm telling this story of the time I went shark fishing. And the story goes like this. Uh, a friend of mine at the time and I, we go and we get grouper sandwiches and we get on the boat and we're doing night fishing down off of Fort Myers Beach and we're gonna go shark fishing. And we're, sh we're fishing, honestly, we're not catching anything, we're not seeing anything, it's pretty boring. He then gets seasick and then chums up the waters, if I can say it that way. And then not too much longer afterwards, we see some fins and we catch a few sharks. It's a great story. The way I tell the story, 
If we go grouper fishing, we go shark fishing, he eats a grouper sandwich, and he is boom and boom and boom off the boat, and out of nowhere, boom, boom, boom. We, we, we turn the lights on. There's sharks hitting the side of the boat, and we're like, just catching sharks. Out. You know, reality is, we caught sharks. He threw up. He chummed the waters. But the facts are, they weren't hiding under the boat, coming up like Meg, trying to eat my boat because he chummed up the waters. And no, we did not eat the sharks. Uh, after watching what just happened, not going to touch those things. But what I did is I embellish my story. I exaggerate some of the details. I, I keep the idea the same, but I add in some theatrics. Does anybody know what that's called? Lying. I used words like theatrics and exaggeration and embellishments because that feels better than, dude, you just lied. Is that okay? Can we say that? Like, that's exactly what just happened. And I realized how easy it is to do something as stupid as lying about the fish. And I find it interesting that, that my shark story doesn't hurt anybody, but I felt the need to lie about it, to make it bigger and grander. Why? So I'm having this conversation with Jessica going, why would I do something stupid? Like, hindsight, oh, you were just telling a story. It was funny. It was whatever. But it gets to a deeper issue, no? It points back to pride. It points back to insecurities. And it points back to the need for approval of people. I made a funny joke, a funny story, bigger and better like we always do, but why? Why am I doing that? I'm doing it because what's on the inside is not okay with Pete. So he wants to make who he is bigger and better and grander so that he feels better about himself because he gets a reaction from you. Can I tell you what that is? It's a small weed. It's a small weed. But here's the kicker, and this is where everyone kind of gets jumbled up, is that if I'm going to exaggerate a story about my shark fishing experience, what else would you exaggerate about? What happens when the chips are on the line and you have to tell the truth or you get consequences? Will you actually do it? See, this is the problem that we're living in, is we're living in a world full of filters, and we justify our lying because we don't want to be real. We don't want to have a real, true, you-can-see-me-the-way-that-I-am experience. We catfish the entire world now so that they don't see that our, our insecurities. We have these deep-seated issues with pride. We have deep-seated issues with, with jealousy and envy. We have these deep-seated issues when it comes to being an insecure individual. And I don't like who I am. I don't like the shape that I am. I don't like the height that I am. I don't like the voice that I have. I don't like the whatever it may be because that person is better and that person is better and that person is better. And we look ourselves and go, I don't measure up with EJ's voice and, and, and Nathan's hair and, and, and Tyler. You know, we're going through all of these levels back and forth. So what I do then is then I make the one thing that I do have somewhat good and I make it bigger and better so it hides all my other issues. But the truth is, no one out there cares about my other issues. 
There is not one person that can be meaner to you than the person standing in the mirror. I got theme music. Cool. <laughs> the problem with Ananias and Sapphira isn't that they didn't give it all. It's why did they feel the need to lie about it? Like you're going to go to Peter and be like, hey man, it sold for more than we thought. I promised you 30. I'm going to give you the 30, but we're going to go pay off some bills. You think Peter would have been like, <laughs> God's going to kill you. No. But what they needed was they needed their ego and their insecurities and their pride elevated. In other words, when Peter looks at him and says, why, can you put verse four up? Why has Satan, or, sorry, verse three. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Does anybody remember what happened nah, a few thousand years before all that in heaven? When Satan says, I can be like him, I want to elevate myself and I'm going to stir up a third of the angels with me and we're going to be better and we're going to be greater and the sin of pride was found within him iniquity was found within him and God cast him down and I find it so interesting that the very first time we see sin entering to the church it's the sin of pride and it fills our pews. It fills our altars. It fills our podiums. Pride is still continually flowing behind every behind podcasts, behind messages, behind counts, behind everything else. And instead of just getting up and delivering the word of God, now we have to filter it out. Am I going to offend this person? Am I going to offend that person? How do I navigate that? And will it get me more views? And will it get me a, a book deal? Will it? Will, and we're and you're watching pastors now filter the honest gospel because they're insecure, just like you. They're full of pride, just like you. We all deal with this issue. And for me, when I read this story, I have yet to see God strike somebody down dead because they didn't give enough. That's not what this story is about. But I do believe it is a cautionary tale today in my personal world asking, what are the small things in my life that I have ignored and permitted that can create future havoc just like it did in Ananias and Sapphira's life? This didn't happen overnight. These are small weeds left uh, uh, unpulled so that they could grow up and control. Peter says he has filled your heart. And he's gone. When we stand before people and we post online and we do all of our stuff and we know we're telling three quarters truth or 80% truth or we're embellishing or we're doing whatever, Ask yourself, why do I feel the need to make something bigger than it really is? Why am I fudging the numbers to make things better than I actually am? I had this conversation not too long ago with somebody who is, they have a beautiful car, they wear amazing clothing, and they are drowning in debt. 
Why? They have this need for everybody to think they have more than they really have, and it's going to financially kill them. And maybe your lies aren't going to financially kill you. Maybe your lies aren't going to have you drop dead in front of the church. Maybe your lies can keep going one direction and you never get exposed because that was the issue here. They were petrified of being exposed. I am petrified of being, I had my life exposed. It was a horrific experience of my life. And no one wants that. Because by nature, we are called to be together. We're called to be, if you will, pack animals, if you will, where we're living life and doing community together. And the moment that we find ourselves isolating from each other and pulling back, and the moment that we find ourselves compartmentalizing our lives and justifying, what we're doing is we're giving us the illusion of connectivity without the risk of exposure. And God is continually helping us go from glory to glory. And that happens when you're in healthy community with somebody. And they look at you dead in the face and go, what's going on in your life, man? Oh, everything's great. And you go, bull. No, it's not. Well, why would you say something like that? Well, for starters, you were regularly part of our church and you haven't been here in six, eight weeks or you did come and you left early and you show up, like who you have historically been is not who you are currently being. You used to look and you used to worship and now you're just sitting there watching your clock. What's going on and you're pulling back. You're resisting what's going on. There's something happening. I have a, um, I would say, maybe they didn't, a great relationship with Thomas and EJ, a great relationship with like Shonda and Daryl. And I'm driving on the road uh, with, with uh, Shonda the other day Bring me up from the airport, and she's smiling, and she's doing her thing, and I went, hey, what's going on? She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, Shonda, we, I've known you since first grade. That's 48 years of her life. I'm fixing to be 40. She took first grade seven, eight times. Um, but she had this look on her face of, oh, God, he knows. You know what I knew? Nothing. I just felt my friendship was something was weird. And we had this open dialogue right then. And I, I'm sorry, I'm throwing you under the bus. She made the statement about feeling somewhat disconnected from, 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 from me. Life has been crazy and busy. And out of nowhere, not to be over-spiritual, I realized that there's that verse in the Bible that says the anointing starts to flow from the top through his beard all the way through. And I made the statement, when you get disconnected, you, you create yourself separate. When you find yourself separate, instead of coming and getting reconnected, you get isolated. And when you get isolated, you get devoured. And we're having this conversation about how the enemy is devouring our thoughts. But on the outside, everything was great. Can I tell you, healthy community looks at somebody and goes, I love you enough to ask a hard question. Let's have a conversation. I want a community here that's a safe place for somebody to look at me and go, not having the best day, man. And I can look at you and go, hey, I don't have time to talk about it right this moment, but I'm going to connect with you. Okay, great. Cool. You don't have to exaggerate. You don't have to embellish. Sometimes it's like, I don't want to talk about it. Just pray for me. Great, let's do it. But the idea that we always have to be 
filtered through life is not okay. An unfiltered life is a healthy life because it puts trust that God is big enough to protect you from everything else around you and your family here is big enough. They may say something mean, they may say something hurtful and I guarantee you that's gonna happen in your life but what I can also promise you is that he is big enough to guard your heart. But don't feel the need to pull an Ananias and Sapphira and lie about what's going on to cover up the insecurities that are happening on the inside. I've been doing this for a long time and as I just told you a story I had a, a few weeks ago, still walking life every single day going, Pete, why did you just do something stupid? Why did you say something petty? What inside of you made you do that? And then I go, I need to talk to Jesus. And he's going, yeah. But what happens a lot of times is we don't want to do that. We'll justify it. We'll compartmentalize it. I said that because of EJ. She just, ugh. And then we just move on with our lives, and the Holy Spirit goes, there was healing. There's an opportunity for healing. When we're ever confronted with who we are on the inside, with what we just did, the Holy Spirit is there to heal an issue. Or we can just go to the doctor and be like, we're good, and keep filling it out. Let's get lunch. Heavenly God, I just thank you that as we are here and you've been breathing on this, I just thank you that you are revealing whether we have issues and pride or insecurities or jealousy and envy and strife, whatever it may be that has caused us to embellish, to lie, to manipulate, to steal, to do whatever it may be. God, I just thank you that today is a day not of reckoning in a bad way, but that you are here with revival to revive something. Revive who we are. Revive what's taken place. Pouring out your spirit in this place. Holy Spirit, I just ask that right now that your, your love is in this place to heal, to restore, to make things right. And when you point out an issue in my life, when you point out something that's going, a weed in somebody else's life, God, to them, that they have an opportunity and the boldness to course correct and pluck it right then dealing with the issues at hand so that it doesn't grow into this monstrosity of a tree that's controlling their life and future issues. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.